Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor, where we try to connect Sunday to the weekday. I'm Pastor Dina. And I'm Pastor James. And this week, we celebrated Vacation Bible School Sunday and focused on Romans 14, 19 as our theme verse all week. And so for the podcast, we're taking a deeper dive into the context of that passage, Romans 14, verses 13 through 23. So, how did this passage strike you when you heard it, Pastor James? Well, you know, Romans is one of those books that I approach very gingerly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had, um, uh, you know, I I have a lot of respect for Romans. There's a lot of deep theology. I joke that I didn't preach on it my first seven and a half years because I wasn't ready to preach on it. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've encountered it now. This is our fourth time. Um, and, um, you know, I think this had a... When I first was introduced to the book of Romans, I was introduced to it in a way that made me think of it as really being a book of theology. Mm -hmm. And so one of the great things about coming at the, the, the text through the lens of our mission statement and really remembering that there is relationship in everything, you know, the, the whole arc of scripture is about our relationship with God. Um, it, I saw all the ways that Paul actually is very, very concerned with relationships and, mm -hmm. and here, not the least of which it's, it's the intersection of theology and relationship. So in talking about the, the people who, you know, are okay with it, with meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Cause they recognize that that isn't a, th those aren't living things like yeah, th th that's not a real God anyway. So it so doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. Um, versus the people that are like, well, this may endorse it or, you know, I still can't, mm -hmm. I still can't get there. Um, seeing the way that we are to, even though that's not a matter of conscience because those idols are dead things, mm -hmm. you know, they should not matter that, um, Paul really gets into the relationship. All right. How do we relate when we have these differing views within? And I think, um, one of the things that I appreciated is you brought out the fact that, um, again, you reiterated that, that relationship is, is a primary product of the gospel. It's a primary work of the gospel. And so, um, it's not like we can take those situations and we don't have meat sacrificed idols these days. No, I uh, checked Henry's. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, mm. <laughs> um, and we, but we have other things that we think are, are important or matters of faith in life that are really secondary, not even secondary doctrines are really more about forms and orders than, than, than doctrine that we can tend to elevate. Um, that, um, Paul is saying, be careful in elevating those things. Be careful in elevating, you know, the, the way you order your gatherings. Be careful in the way that you um, order, order your life beyond having elders and so on. Because th those, are, those are items that are, that are not primary or secondary doctrines. And what he's saying is that we have to have that relationship. And so... I have written down here that, once again, that relationship is primary to the gospel and that, that relationships are based on grace rather than rights. Yeah, I think what struck me is, you know, all week long we had been talking about Romans 14, let's strive for the things that bring peace and build each other up, which is a lovely verse and yes. lovely instructions. But the richness of it comes in that, that this verse is in a context of how to deal with conflict, how to deal with mm -hmm. 
disagreement. And so it's not just a, a nice little golden rule kind of thing. It's when when you disagree, when the faith of your brother or sister is at stake, when you don't see eye to eye, then this is how you are to proceed. Strive for the things that bring peace. Strive for the things that build each other up. And so it's not just an empty little platitude. It's it's giving us guidance for how we should interact when um, when we disagree with one another. And as you said, you know, we there are there are plenty of things to disagree about. And especially with this issue of eating meat. The, the, the question kind of comes back to where where is where do my rights to eat meat and where do your rights to demand that I don't eat meat or your rights to not eat meat begin and where is the grace of Christ in the midst of all that and you can swap out that eats meat with any number of issues that's facing the current church but in all of this how do I not cause my brother or sister to stumble because that's how this passage starts don't cause your brother or sister to stumble protect them care for them build them up yeah yeah i I think one of the ideas that you're getting to here is uh, i jotted down that that paul is really saying that you can be theologically right and morally wrong at the same time yeah which which we don't think of 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 it that way we think if we are theologically right then we must be morally right as well but that's not how relationships work. You can be theologically right, as you pointed out here. Like th- theology of, of idols is, you know, they're dead things, so whatever. Yeah. Um, but you can be morally wrong by using that theology to cause damage to someone else's faith. And I think, I mean, I think we have to take a look at then the number we've we've talked for three weeks in a row now about those Barna statistics. Those mm-hmm. have been those have been sticking with me um, because the church is viewed as being so hypocritical. We are preventing faith in Christ when people have openness to Christ. And, and, and yeah, we might be theologically right, but I think morally we're in dangerous territory. Yeah. You know, I've, I've thought about that and thought about different, different personalities that that take a strong stand that and there's not a lot of grace and I've never seen anyone lift up someone's faith because of their unwavering conviction that they're right and everyone else is wrong you know you you don't hear people say oh he really stuck to his guns on that one that makes me want to be a part of the faith but it's it is the the grace and the um the willingness to bend and hear and and listen and not not cause someone else to struggle we had mentioned the first corinthians passage in the podcast two weeks ago or last week i can't remember yes yeah um but like when we disagree to me that's where the that first corinthians passage on love really comes in that's where it's important to be patient and be kind and not keep a record of right and wrong and not insist that your way is the only way and I think that's what Paul is is getting at here that, again, like you said, you can be right and also wrong at the same time. You can be right, but the way you carry it out is going to 
is going to influence how how everyone sees you and how everyone sees the faith because people are looking at the church and they don't like what they see and in a lot of cases they're not wrong which is is hard and painful to say and you know and I admit, I admit my own complicity in that because sometimes the my first reaction when someone pushes back is nope I'm gonna stand right here and I'm not gonna <laughs> budge and um you know it's something I have to to work on which you know is something else that was a, a fantastic point in the sermon um I, I jotted notes about that yeah. actually the, the the idea that we have to work on it it's natural to to want our own way I mean that's a Genesis 3 kind of thing right there I mean we've been dealing with that since the fall yeah yeah, and I think um, to to put myself um, out there, I think uh, we just had Vacation Bible School. I'm the the director of Vacation Bible School, so I I do a lot of the advanced planning and such. And after the first day, someone asked me to make a switch with what we did. To we had only been offering a snack to the youngest two groups and not the oldest ones because we didn't want to have to mess with allergies and and practicalities and it, it, timing and all that and someone said you know I really that you know this one kid's day was ruined because his sister got a snack and he didn't and I was like oh man I don't really want to give them a snack I didn't plan for giving them a snack and yet I can go upstairs to my office and order you know another case of gluten-free pretzels and give them a snack and it's, it's not going to cost me anything but other than right. my pride and my plans and my, you know, I had to really work through my brain saying like, no, if I say no to this, it's just because I don't want to give in and not because I don't think they need a snack. Well, that, that's almost a, a perfect analog to what Paul is talking about. Like mm-hmm. y- you're not going to sacrifice, um, you know, the, the, the knowledge of the gospel for a few gluten free yeah. Pretzels. Yeah. Which and are rather tasty. Yeah. I, I surprisingly. Surprisingly. Um, I, I, I didn't have any until day five and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> They're missing out. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, no, that's almost a perfect analog. And, and our natural, our, our natural reaction in a fallen state is to have that selfish, self-centered, mm-hmm. like watching toddlers play like, nope, I want this toy for the all of the time, and then some. Yeah. I don't care that you want to turn. I love watching them when they, they not only want this toy, but I want that one too, and I'm not actually playing with it, but you are definitely not going to play with it, so I'm going to hold <laughs> on to both. And and it, it feels like we constantly have to fight those inclinations in ourselves, and we're, we're a little more polite about it as grown-ups, but not that yeah, much. Yeah, we're clever about it. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that's that's the entire work, um, actually, of Pete Scazzaro, uh, mm. uh, uh, Pastor Pete Scazzaro. He, he, um, uh, he pastored a church in um, uh, Queens, I believe it was. Uh, he handed it over recently so that he could focus on his ministry, but his uh, works are the Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally mm. Healthy Discipleship, um, and talking about emotional health within the church, it was very interesting. Once I had my eyes open to that sort of schema and looking at adults through the the, per, the lens of emotional age, mm-hmm. it is amazing um, because it's a lot more pervasive than we would think. The amount of emotional immaturity that we approve of within the church that that basically in larger society we don't permit in professional situations. We don't permit it in in social situations. Otherwise, the social 
relationships break down. Yeah. Um, and so looking at, at emotional maturity and going, oh, we have missed an entire category of where the gospel should be affecting us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, people are watching that and it's, mm-hmm. it's giving people a picture of the church that does not look like Jesus does not exemplify you know philippians 2 we we go to that passage a lot and and if you read it and you're honest with yourself it's it's a hard thing like it for me i know it's a constant evaluation am i saying no to this because i don't want to do the work or because i really think it's not right the right thing to do am i saying you know am i sticking to my guns because my pride is at stake or because I genuinely think this is the right way to go. And I mean, sometimes we definitely are called to um, to stick with what we think is right because we, mm-hmm. we genuinely think that the opposite is dangerous or um, outside, of the, will outside of, of the will of God. But but I know, you know, when pride and our own sense of autonomy and call are in question, then it's really easy to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to bend on this because no, because I get to pick. Right. You know, um, the early church had to deal with this too. And, and they really put their stakes down in, um, the identity of Jesus, Mm -hmm. the Lordship of Jesus. They put their identity down in, um, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but the strict sexual ethic that they, that they, um, that they espoused and, and lived into. Um, and, and there's a whole, uh, just for clarification, there's a whole discussion we could have around um, first century Roman sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, actually, yeah. st- area of study. Um, and then um, uh, in their their generosity uh, towards towards people, and um, they did not budge on those things. Now everything else, they kind of they were you know, they became exemplary. They didn't set out to be exemplary citizens, but they were, but yet they were still persecuted because of the Lordship of Christ thing that they would not move on. And so they were viewed as subversive. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, real quick here, the one governor's letter said, I don't really want to put them to death because they're actually better than most citizens. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I, I hear you on the, what am I supposed to do here? And, yeah. and the official policy came out is, uh, <laughs> this is great. The official Roman policy ended up being only unless someone brings them before you, do you actually prosecute this? Mm-hmm. Like they were, even Rome was kind of like, oh, I, ooh, we don't know. They don't fit neatly into any categories. Yeah. Sometimes as I think about, as I think about this idea of, striving for peace and and my rights and and your rights and what's right and what's wrong. I think it's easy to forget sometimes that that I'm only responsible for me and I'm only going to have to answer for for me and I'm not even if I think you're wrong for eating meat sacrificed to idols like I'm I'm not going to have to answer that. I know, you know, I frequently tell my children, you worry about you and let you know, let your brother worry about your brother so much so that, you know, a 2-year-old spouted it back to me when I tried to tell her brother to eat his vegetable. Mama, <laughs> you worry about you. <laughs> <laughs> the, out of the mouths of babes. But we, 
it seems like we can be so consumed with what everyone else is doing that we forget like my responsibility is for me and I and that that sounds really individualistic in an unhealthy way but I think I think we have forgotten that I am not like I can't answer for what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and how the Holy Spirit is convicting you I know how the Holy Spirit is leading me when, you know, I have to answer for the way I treat others, the way I conform to Jesus and am humble and loving and gracious and and keep my life in the way that that Jesus required of us. And, you know, I'm called to be in relationship with you, but that doesn't mean that I'm responsible for your choices, your life, your um, your convictions we have you know we each have to work that out with the holy spirit on our own so i think the 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 linchpin word that you had in there was humility mm-hmm. actually because um and i'm becoming more and more aware of this and and more um uh i'm thinking about it a lot more because um individualism if it's not combined with humility l- breeds that that abrasive mm-hmm. view that i think that a lot of people get of the church and and the way the church will will take stands on certain things, um, I, I think uh, you know we saw that a lot during COVID because there was a lot of abrasiveness mm-hmm. during the COVID era, um, and so it was uh, it was theology without humility, um, and then that that can take us so far, um, and and the question that I wrote down that that was related to all this when you were preaching. Um, is uh, where do our rights end and Christ's grace begin? Yeah. Because you said, you know, the, that so often we're concerned, where do my rights end and someone else's begin? But it's really not about that. It's, it's where do our rights end and Christ's grace begins? Mm-hmm. If we're going to pe- be people that are characterized by the grace of Jesus Christ to, to encourage others and to, to strive for the things that bring peace, then, then, then we need to look for that that boundary and say, okay, am I insisting on this because it's my right or because this is the grace of Christ being yeah. applied in this, in this situation? Yeah. And that's hard. And it, and it does require that constant emptying of ourselves. Certainly not in exactly the same way Jesus emptied himself, but it's that same kind of, of thought process of that mind. Like I need to set aside everything that I think is right in this situation so that I can love this person well and be in relationship with them well. And and again, and I know I brought it out yesterday in the sermon too, we're not talking about the absolute essentials, but I think if we're honest, the essentials are much fewer than we consider them today. You know, that we have raised so many things in the church to the level of essential that that we've kind of forgotten the the centrality of Christ in the midst of that, in the midst of that and, and that self-sacrifice and that, that love and that grace. I mean, that, that's the foundation of who Christ was that giving himself for someone else. And it's not something that comes naturally. And we do have to work for it. Like we have to work for every other thing that's good for you know, to be a good athlete, to be a good student, to be a good citizen, to be a good employee, to be a good parent. You know, those aren't natural things to be a good spouse. We have to work at it and and we never 
arrive. You can never sit back and go, oh, okay, this is totally natural now. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, that's and that's the reason that Paul would have used a, a verb like strive is because we've got to work at that. I mean, strive. Let's actually work at the things that bring peace, because in our like, as you're saying, in our natural state, that's not what we do. We've we we naturally strive for the things that bring us comfort and and temporary happiness and yeah. uh, and and secondary fulfillment. Yeah, and like I said, that word really has an aggressive note to it. Almost some of the um, some of the other uses, it, it's kind of a sense of harassing or oh, really? chasing. Oh, or wow. yeah, I mean, it, and it, I mean, like like so many words, it it does have different applications. But there was a sense of that, like this is not just um, not just following the path towards peace, but like actively fighting towards getting it wow um, yeah well, that's a that's a that's a heavy thought Her- it, it was i was i was surprised i thought what do i what do i do with this but um, <laughs> harass for the things that bring y- peace yeah yeah it, which is which is funny because you think of harass as actually an adversarial word but but peace is you know wholeness and, yeah and so um it gives that idea and actually we, we we talked about this very briefly actually prior to to hitting the record button but this idea that that um, in some ways, so we're in the Reformed tradition, Calvinistic, um, and one of the points of Calvinism is that um, uh, total depravity, that is, that every part of our life is affected by sin. Not that we're as bad as we possibly could be, that's absolute depravity, but that we are, um, that every aspect of our life is, is um, touched by sin. And it's almost as if in, um, in the individualism, and, and feeling like we have control over ourselves, we're like, we actually think that, well, I only, I have control over myself. I have some quirks. I have some issues that I can work on, but by and large, I'm actually in control. Mm-hmm. We don't think of ourselves as a, as a battlefield. We yeah. don't think of ourselves as, as the Gettysburg of sin. Like, you know, there is a, a war raging on. And so, um, and so that there's a, you know, we're not, in an active fight, which may be what gives the enemy the best advantage overall. Yeah, and what comes to my mind goes all the way back to to Jesus and the whole plank and sliver discussion. Like, you know, it's not our job, and we use it in a you-can't-judge-me kind of way, but but truly, like, unless we're doing the work of, of recognizing the sin in our lives, the natural inclinations towards, um, towards the ways that are not of Christ, then we have no business pointing that out in other people. And, and that's not to say that we can't be in relationship with other people where we are called to help them think through their decisions. That's not to say we shouldn't, um, you know, admonishment is also a part of the gospel, but Mm -hmm. we have to do it from, from such a humble position. Yes saying like I, I know I have work to do too and I know that that my life is not what it should be too and not you know I know I'm not perfect but you should do this like it's got to be so much more genuine and so much more thoughtful than that it, it has to be it has to come from a p- place of shared pain yeah um, it, there's a big difference when you feel like you're external to a situation 
like you're standing outside of a situation trying to speak into it from a from a third party point of view it's much different when you actually identify with that person and identify with the pain you know one of the things that as i go around um uh, you know i was just telling someone this morning that my mom had passed four and a half years ago and it was cancer it, it's i can tell the people who have ha- had loss from cancer mm-hmm. when i tell my story because instantly there's that connection there's that it, it's it's almost a a, f- a a commonality a fraternity a sorority of of people who are going yeah I, I know what you're going through mm-hmm. and, and can almost feel the pain in that moment. And that's where we are able to then work with and start from that point. Um, just like Job, uh, the one thing that Job's friends did well to get down in the dust mm-hmm. with people and to mourn with them and to, to be with them where they are, which is the entire point of the incarnation. Yeah. Jesus didn't save us from his throne, although he could have. I'm sure of it. Yeah. But he he emptied himself and he came down in the, and he came as the most vulnerable creature that we have, which is a human child. Yeah. A- and and wore our flesh and and walked our earth and and went through all of the I mean, Jesus was a teenager at one point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but he entered into our world. He entered into our pain. He entered into our situation and redeemed us from within, not from without. Yeah, I know the verse that comes to mind is um, from Hebrews. The, we, we often use it as an intro to the prayer of confession. But, you know, we don't worship a high priest who doesn't know what we're going through. We worship one who can sympathize with us in every weakness and has been tested mm. exactly as we have and knows intimately what what we're going through and to me that's so powerful because i think as we struggle that's what we yearn for like uh you have all kinds of questions about whether you're you're messing your kids up me too i'm I, you know i'm right there with you uh you don't know how you're going to make sense of this world around us and all of the the yucky things that happen me too i have questions too and i wonder where god is too and yet somehow I believe God is with me. So we're in this together. And, you know, in the times when it's harder for you to believe that God is with you, let me remind you. And, and then for the time when the time, when it's harder for me to remember that, then you're going to be able to write, remind me that, that it, I mean, it's relationship, the purest, most, most authentic kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what we yearn for in the church, in our, even, I mean, and I think the church, especially according to the Barnapol, has not done a good job at that. We're seen as judgmental. We're seen as hypocritical. And so people are seeking that elsewhere, whether uh, to bring up the mimosa from last week, you know, whether it's around the, <laughs> the brunch table or, you know, on the side of the soccer pitch or on the side of the pool deck. Like we're yearning for that deep connection that that then requires us to set ourselves aside. It requires us to strive for peace and the things that build each other up. It requires us to say, you know, it, it requires, it requires us to admit to each other, you know, maybe, maybe you're right and I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right and you're wrong and we might not know it, 
on this side of heaven. Like, you know, it requires us to say, I can see your point. I can see how your study of scripture would lead to this. Mine has, my study of scripture and the, you know, my experience and my, my work has led me here. And we're just not going to know who's the more right of the two of us. Yeah. Kind of thing. And we can fully embrace those and yet walk arm in arm too. Yeah. Um, there, there are two concepts here are, uh, that I want to highlight. Um, th- th- what we're talking about, so the term was only created by Carl Jung. He was a psychologist in mm-hmm. the late 1800s, early 1900s, I believe. Um, but the wounded healer. Yeah. And I think that concept is, it's not called that, of course, in scripture. But I think that's that's what we're called to. We are called to be wounded healers, yeah, um, and to recognize that we are to bring our full full being into into this, and that's what lets us speak into other other people's lives. It's not moral purity. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. Nope. Um, Christ has moral pu- purity, and yet He still came to be one of us, um, and that should be very very instructive for our lives and 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 how we view this idea of striving for peace and building one another up. We don't do it from a position of authority. We do it from a position of humility and meekness. Um, and the other is, uh, there's actually a book that I would I would commend uh, by Dan Allender. Um, it's called Leading with a Limp. Mm. Um, that, it, that it's this idea that, you know, we have valued kind of models. We have valued... Um, people being paragons of perfection and so on and then we watch what happens when those when those models get broken Ooh, yeah it, i mean we are very good at tearing those people down now we are looking for a savior and we have to recognize that we have one savior uh, and we've got a bunch of people who can lead with a limp yeah. um, wounded healers so to speak and and so i would commend that book just to to recognize that it is okay to bring the woundedness of ourself, not uh, uh, um, uh, the scars, not an active wound. We don't want to mm-hmm. bleed all over people, uh, but um, but we can bring our wounds, our scars, into the conversation because they give the reality of life. If we are not seeing people as wounded healers, if we are not seeing people as leading with a limp, then we do not have an accurate view on them or our lives or what's going on and that's going to lead to a great downfall yeah and i i think this verse gives a good rubric in in how to do that too as we ask ourselves am i sharing this because i'm building someone else up and leading them to peace or am i sharing this because i need them to build me up and lead me to peace and um i think you know when we're in the position of power when we're in the position of being further along in our spiritual walk we have to be really careful that we're not we're not putting our open wounds along some uh, onto someone else we have to we have to look for someone who is more mature further along a little more removed from the situation to to help us and then and then some days someday hopefully we'll be able to to um, pass that wisdom on but but I think you know that constant question of Am I sharing this because I need something from somebody or because I really think that by my sharing my experience, I'm going to lift them up? And we see that. I think we see that a lot in in suffering and grief work. Yeah. Um, it's the difference of like, oh, you're grieving because your loved one died. Well, my loved one died 
this way or at this time and I had four left less years than you did versus oh, my loved one died too I know what you're going through from my perspective I you know I I promise you it's not always gonna be as raw as it is in this moment like it's it's the same thing mm-hmm. it's just two different ways of presenting and and walking with people interestingly enough interestingly enough in those moments um if we're if we're working from a genuine position of love oftentimes we don't have words Mm -hmm. because because it's so bound up in our emotion that you know all it can come out as is as a hug or just some sort of yeah eye um, contact something you know that knowing knowing look correct um and I think that's, uh, I think this could actually be good for parenting and grandparenting as well. Mm-hmm. As we look at it, you know, um, kids don't need parents and grandparents on pedestals, but they need to be entered into, uh, we need, they need us to enter into their lives and to be told that it's okay and that and what they're going, I, I went mm-hmm. through the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I know this is hard. I really do. Yeah. Um, I'm going to yeah. be with you through it. I, I promise you, you'll get to the other side. Yeah. It, it'll suck. Yeah. Yeah. It's but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something to the effect, like, I remember what it's like to not make the team. It's terrible. Yeah. Not, there'll be other teams, there'll be other games. Like, no, like, it. it's terrible and it hurts really bad right now. And I promise you that, that someday you will look back on this with more perspective and it won't feel as big as it does right now. But for now, it's okay that it feels huge. Yeah. Or to say, you know, um, to be able to say, listen, I, <laughs> I went through the same thing. Um, I got cut too, but I didn't, I held on to it far too long mm-hmm. and I know what it did to me. Um, we're going to work through it, but I'm not going to let you sit in it. Yeah. Ultimately, we're, we're going to get better as a result. Um, and to, to, to show the scars, to show the wounds, um, and to, to show that there's life on the other side of that, not from a, an all-knowing perspective, but from a compassionate, you know, the word compassion is Latin, uh, has Latin roots, compassion, uh, to suffer with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's what we're called to. We're called to suffer with people. Um, and that's where we build the relationship. That's where we build the, the, the relational tenacity and elasticity that allows us to speak into one another's lives. Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of thing that brings peace to be reminded that this person is with me and that because this person is with me, I can remember that God is with me and, and I can remember that this, this huge thing, this heartbreaking thing, this, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes it is just not making the team and other times it, it is loss. It is, Mm -hmm. it's life changing. It's divorce. It's brokenness beyond um, what we can fathom and but in both situations, just being reminded that God is with me because and you were the the hands and feet of God in this moment. I mean, our kids sang that this week. Let me be the hands and feet. Let me show grace and and speak truth mm. and and shine Jesus's light through me, so that others will know, even in the midst of their darkest times, that that God is there and. Um, I know we, you know, we've talked all week. I have a love hate relationship with vacation Bible school. It's mostly love. It's also (laughs) a pain in the butt. Um, But, but that is my deepest hope that, 
that these kids will be reminded that God is with them no matter what. Um, and that, that somehow these 110 kids that were here this past week will go out and change the world, that they'll, that they will strive for peace, that they will build each other up, that they will make a difference and, and not in ways necessarily that are going to make headlines or turn heads, but for the people that they interact with are going to make all the difference in the world. And Mm. that's how the gospel spreads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) preach. Yeah. And actually you did this week and, and, and well done on on getting through a week (laughs) of Bible school and then being able to preach, uh, at, at the end of the week as well too. Um, and just so people know, I did not force that on you. That's been the tradition here. Yeah, so. that has been the tradition. So, um, and and it is good. I think you know, as hard as it was, I I wrote this sermon on Saturday. I'll admit, but you know, and every time I sat down in front of my computer, I thought, oh, brain, come on, <laughs> get into gear. Um, but it is so good to put words to what happened here this week because as much as vacation Bible school is a pain in the rear end and it's chaotic and, you know, I have to navigate who I'm going to give snack to and who I'm not and who's <laughs> in what group and, and all that. When you watch these kids sing, when you hear them tell the Bible stories from their own perspective, when you see the relationships that develop, it, it is a picture of, I, I mean, I think it's a picture of heaven, the, the purity of their relationships. I, I mentioned in the sermon yesterday and my daughter was one of them. She met um, someone. She happened to run into them on the playground two days before vacation Bible school. So they spent, what, 40 minutes together. And then by the end of the week, she's telling me, we're best friends. You know, it just like <laughs> we're in the same place. We're about the same age. That that purity of of spirit and that generosity. And I've said, you know, watching all my kids grow up, I wonder when we lose that. Because yeah. you watch kids on the playground and, and it is a, to go against what we said before like that part is kind of natural to them like hey we're both here we both want to use the slide all right we'll be friends um Mm. and and that you know it's two sides of the same coin because then you also see those same kids refusing to share and (laughs) and all that but but there's little glimpses of this is this is what it means to set myself aside this is what it means to be in relationship with someone else this is what it means to um to build each other up I think it's a good reminder of what the scripture says when it says that he has set eternity in our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, we do get those glimpses. We we do get those moments and it reminds us of just how the world was built. I know I was talking to, uh, to my son this morning. We had chopped down a tree, which was angled perilously <laughs> over my Chevy Silverado. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so we backed the, the, the truck up and we, we dropped it and so on and so forth. And so we've been cutting it up in pieces. And so no joke, pieces that I cut um, two, three weeks ago and lined out to, to dry because I want to use it for wood turning. Um, he said, Daddy, come look. They've put new sprouts out. Uh. And here are these logs that I cut up weeks ago. And I said, Ian, just remember, this world was built for life. Yeah. 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 It was wha- built to live. In the purest moments. I mean, that's what, 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 what watching little kids together reminds me. And, and, and I wonder when we lose that, when we put that away fully, because it's harder to see in adults, I think. Yeah. We, we get jaded. We get practical. We um, get nervous. Like, get oh, nervous. maybe they don't want to be my 
be my friend. Like what happens uh, if I say this? Yeah. Especially my eight year old. Like that does not cross her mind that someone wouldn't want to be friends with her. Uh, yeah. That, it doesn't you know. cross my nine year old's mind either. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, and it, it grieves my heart that, that someday it will probably not that long in the future. Well, And it's amazing how, uh, cause I relayed with someone yesterday, like I have social anxiety disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And so to have a son who is so naturally gregarious yeah. is just amazing to me. Uh, and just shows how the grace of God is in operation in ways that that we just can't imagine. And and to to keep striving because, you know, if I had given up, what would I what, what would I have cheated him on as a father? Yeah, yeah. And it, and it is a reminder that we are image bearers. We mm. do have the image of God within us with the creativity, with the, the, the genuine relationship that, and so it's there and we also have to strive for it. Yeah. It's both. I mean, much like athletic talent, much like academic talent, like it's there, but you have to keep working at it. If got to cut the diamond. Yeah. If you want it to grow and strengthen and, um, and change the world. Yeah. Well, the, it was a great week. Yeah, um, it really so was. So many good things came out of it. Um, kids are wonderful to work with and to um, know the responsibility that we have in Christ um, and the, the the vows that we take as believers to to raise kids into the faith. I mean, it's just a wonderful, it's a, it's a terrifying, awesome in the truest sense, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a, a terrifying responsibility and yet so wonderful at the same time. Yeah, it really is. And it is a privilege of being able to do that for my own kids, but also being able to be a part of that for other kids, too. And and to introduce them, you know, some to introduce them to the first to church for the first time, for some to just remind them that church is a good place to be. Um, And, you know, hopefully when when the twists and turns come down the road, when the bottom falls out down the road, um, that maybe, maybe they'll be reminded that we're a safe place to, yeah. to come. And it, even if we're not a safe place, maybe any you know a church or if nothing else, God that God is safe to turn to. Yeah, um, I I often said in my time out in Illinois, um, we train, even if they leave us, we train children up, in the hopes that someone else is doing that elsewhere, mm-hmm. and that we are able to take over when they their job is done. And someone else is able to take over when our job is done. Yeah. And that reminds me of our discussion last last week or maybe 12 years ago. I'm not sure what. <laughs> um, but but that, that, yeah, like even if they don't end up in our church, if they end up in a church, we've won. Yes. If they end up with a faith in Christ, we have won. Whether it's worked out with our congregation, whether it's worked out with the congregation up the road or across the country or, or the in world. college or across the world that... Um, that we can, when we can have that, I guess the, the easiest way to put it is, you know, we're striving to bring peace along with all these other believers who are also striving to bring peace and build each other up. And, yeah. you know, oh, what good news it is that we are working together um, and that we don't have to do it all ourselves, mm. that um, there can be places where we're not as as capable but other people are and working from that mindset that we're all on the same team yeah yeah so good stuff good stuff and now i need a nap
<laughs> yes, you have earned it for sure. Hey, if you found this episode helpful, would you do us a favor? Would you leave a rating and review? Um, we've said it a number of times, but that changes the algorithms in the uh, in the podcast services so that it it raises up and and so peop- more people can find out about the transforming love of Jesus Christ because the gospel changes everything. Also, share it on social media wherever you are, whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or uh, any other. Uh, social media, would you share that as well so people can find it? We really appreciate it. Click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time and after a nice long nap, (laughs) I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And we hope that this helps you connect Sunday to the weekday.